this is the Doctor Who podcast at Christmas, and you are most welcome with a little sprig of holly on top. It's episode 315 of the Doctor Who podcast. It's Christmas Day. So what else would we be doing but sitting in a pretend caravan talking to each other about Doctor Who? Hello, Phil. Hello, Ian. Hello, James. Hello, Ian. Season's greetings, everybody. (laughs) Season's greetings. Yes, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. And all that kind of stuff. All that jazz. So (laughs) we're not going to talk about the news. We're going to get straight in to the highly, highly Christmassy episode that we're about to discuss. And we, we, we dropped <laughs> some clues on the last episode. And we had a couple of guesses, guys. We had a couple of guesses on Twitter as to what episode we would be discussing. All wrong, which was excellent. Uh, but we had Tim. Are you going to discuss the three doctors? Because essentially, Ooh. that's a Christmas panto. Joe Grant and seven male characters go to a magical fairyland to defeat a powerful wizard in his castle and <laughs> be home in time for supper. And I would say they, they dress the sets in Quality Street wrappers as well, actually. Kind of Christmassy. Kind of Christmassy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. I suppose. Yeah. Okay, uh, John Porter thought we were going to be discussing the Unquiet Dead. It's a Christmassy episode. I wouldn't have said it's it was got... pantomime There's snow. Yeah, there's snow, and that's, that's about, about it. The long and the short of it. I suppose you've got ghosts, but... Uh, you, you, you... Charles Dickens, mm-hmm. yeah, Christmas Carol, yeah. I, yeah. I suppose parts of it are set in a theatre. Where do you see pantomimes generally? A House of Commons? No, a theatre. Sorry. But, uh, okay. Oh, a little bit topical there, James. Oh, I'm sorry. I'll, tr- I'll try and keep the um, the highly witty satire out of <laughs> out of the DWP. Um, Drew Walco, uh, brilliant suggestion here. The Reboss operation. Oh. Now that does feel pantomime and Christmassy. Uh, Drew says, fits the snowy remit and the graph and the guards all look like they're dressed up as nutcracker soldiers. I can, I can go with that, actually. I can go with that. <laughs> and we had one other suggestion as well, thinking we're going to be talking about the abominable snowman, of which most is missing. Um, so <laughs> I'm, not, yeah. <laughs> I'm not entirely certain whether or not that fits into the pantomime definition, but... Um, None of those were correct, but thank you, everybody, for sending in your suggestions. Um, We are going to be discussing the Horns of Nymon, which (laughs) I think fits the definition of a pantomime really well. It kind of depends how much you like pantomime, really, doesn't it? I'm quite a late comer when it comes to pantomimes, because um, I never went to a pantomime when I was a child. My parents that never took me, so it's only been in the last couple of years that I've been to see a pantomime and thoroughly enjoyed them, if I'm honest. So um, I can imagine so, it so, would appeal to your kind of humour. I have to say, kind of slapstick, <laughs> uh, carry on. Ha, ha, ha. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, the, well, the last the last one I saw actually had Biggins in it, Christopher Biggins. Wow. So yeah, it doesn't get much better than that when it come, when it comes to pantomime. Well, so, Graham Crowden, um, perhaps. 
Um, but oh, uh, maybe yeah, which yeah, which we will come on to. So. Ian, when was the last time you a went to a pantomime and b watched the Horns of Nymon? Not at the same time. Uh, I have been to pantomime every year for the last uh, probably 12, 13 years with my kids. Uh, except for, of course, this year because we're not allowed to leave the house and there is no pantomime. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's been a year since I last saw a pantomime. Uh, it's been about uh, 48 hours since I last saw Horns of Nymon. and i have to admit that's something that we'll all have in common i think over the last two or three days we've all actually pulled out that dvd um apart from the last few days when have we all watched this Mm. when was the last time we watched this because i'm not sure i can actually remember i actually reviewed this with uh michelle Back in the old days on the DWP, I can't remember why. There was there was some reason why we did it. It was probably just as daft as the Panto reason we've got now. Um, so, yeah, me and Michelle did it. Well, God, that must be five years ago now. So that will be the last time. How about you, Phil? Do you know what? I think it's got to be three or four years ago since the last... Because it's it's part of the... Um, the DVD's part of the Myths and Legends box set, um, which... I think it's paired up with, um, was it Underworld? And one. Revenge of the other, Cyber. What? No, I'm not sure. Oh, I, I, well, I'd normally defer to you on this kind of stuff, I have to say. Yeah, I know, I know one of them's Underworld, but it's. Um, yeah, they're not particularly stories I tend to sort of rewatch very often, to be honest. So I think I just watched it because I just bought the box set and that was it, and it stayed on the shelf ever since, really. So. Um, yeah, it's been a while. A lot of it depends on how you file your DVDs, doesn't it? Because where they decided to pair uh, these releases, um, you know, where you from two different eras, then you've got a decision to make: yeah. is whether or not you file them in doctor order, or whether you know you keep it within the box. And I, I, I recall. I mean, I do, I do the former. Incidentally, the boxes don't get chucked, but they get stored in a very special, separate place. Uh, but the discs or the actual amarays go in the order uh, that they were shown on TV. Will I lose my Who card if I admit that I watched it on BritBox because I don't actually own any of the DVDs anymore? Ooh. Well, it, it's interesting because that was something I was going to mention later on anyway because uh, this is the first time that I've dug a DVD out for a while because I've I've not used BritBox, but certainly I, I've got them all on um, hard drive or digitally, so I generally just watch them on an iPad. Um, however... Uh, again, for whatever reason, I can't quite remember the precise circumstances, but I decided to watch, I think, at least episode two and three of Halls of Naimon on the DVD. And the difference is amazing. Uh, even, even back, you know, I don't know when this was released, a few years ago, say, the, the quality of the restoration and, and just watching it on a large television on a DVD... We were really spoiled as Doctor Who fans. I mean, you, you, you try and look for another programme, virtually any other programme, that was aired about the same time as The Horns of Nymon, you know, 1979, mm. 1980, and see whether or not the same kind of care and attention has been lavished upon it. Not a chance. Not a chance. So I, I'm still holding on to my DVDs. Um, and I, well, I am at least until... They're replaced by the Blu-ray box sets. And Ian, I think you're a philistine for getting rid of your hard <laughs> media. And I think you are quite right. You you should turn in your fan card. Very bad. Yes. All right. See ya. 
<laughs> you don't get out of it that easily. <laughs> I, I think the last time I saw this was when the DVD was released. And I, I what I tried to do um, over the many years that these stories were released on DVD was to watch all of the stories again before I moved on to the extras, as they were called them, before value-added material <laughs> even existed. I don't remember watching this at all. I had very, very little memory of a lot of the lines that on this occasion made me laugh out loud. And uh, I, I know, obviously, the Horns of Nymon has a reputation uh, amongst fandom and people generally <laughs> lambast it and enjoy lambasting it. And indeed, when I suggested it to the pair of you, it was like, oh my God, I haven't got to watch that again, have I? From pretty much both of you. Phil was slightly more vocal than Ian, but it was... Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's I really enjoyed watching this again uh I, I have to say the first three episodes in particular i i found such joy um watching this uh, old show uh, that i am allegedly very very familiar with and having very little memory of what was happening what was going on or what was going to happen next we do seem to be moving very fast yes but everything's off except what's on of course Doctor, what have you been doing? Well, well, I've mean, just been trying out a little idea I had for a slight modification of the conceptual geometer. This is an old ship. So what? Don't you think that's a bit dangerous? No, I don't. What could possibly go... Ooh. Wrong. You know, I've simply got to stop saying that. Every single time I say what could possibly go wrong, something goes... Oh! It's uncanny, isn't it? Uh, do you know what, Jones? I was actually quite surprised when I watched it because uh, on reflection, it's it's no better or worse than any other the other stories in that particular season. I think you just get the, that reputation because of Graham Crowden. The nine ones look a bit naff with the <laughs> costumes and everything. But what was going through my mind, because obviously we, we built this up as, a, um, as, as like an alternative pantomime for, for, for our Christmas Day episode. And the thing is, if you watch it in the spirit of a pantomime, you can have a lot of fun with it. You really can do, because every time like, the co-pilot shouts that weakling scum at Janet Ellison friends, um, in your mind, you can boo and hiss at him, like, like you would do at a pantomime audience. I mean, Graham Crowden stalks around the, the sets like Ebenezer. You know, you know, from a panther, and he's dressed like Ebenezer as well. You know, with you know, with the, with all the black wig and the beards and everything. Um, yeah, I actually had actually did quite enjoy it. I really did. I I would say certainly the costumes make Blake Seven look conservative, don't they? Oh God, yeah. Um, and the sets. I don't know whose idea. The only thing I, I thought whose whose great idea was that was to put. Um, Metal grids on the floors. Every time an actor walked across the room, the clatter, clatter, I clatter, know. clatter. Clank, yeah, clank, clank, clank. Oh. we we all know it's like that. an army of Cybermen coming down the street. <laughs> Modern day Cybermen. Um, I I I think the the noise uh, from the um, the metal gratings on a spaceship set mm. adds something to it, and I like it. And I like that even on like high budget sci fi films where you see, you know. There's there's some flaws in the design of a modern spaceship, and I liked it in Blake Seven as well. I think it made it feel better. You know, Liberator always felt like a spaceship to me, despite the fact it was clearly just a set. <laughs> but I, I think certainly the clanking over the metal grids added something. The problem was it was almost in every set. It was <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So there's kind of two received wisdoms about Horns and Nine. One is it's the third worst story ever made in Doctor Who. Ooh, I now want to ask you what the other two yeah, are. Yeah, go on. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, 
I don't actually know. I was just, <laughs> just reading up on it and it was quoted as being, I think it was someone who found out that uh, a relative of theirs um, was in it, playing one of the Nymon, I believe, actually. Oh. And, and their, their response was simply, apparently I was in the third worst ever Doctor Who. Um, and that was the end of their response about their time on Doctor Who. <laughs> okay. So there's that there's that received wisdom, which I don't think is entirely fair. And then there is the idea that it's this sort of lost comedy classic that is misunderstood, and if you actually view it as a comedy, it's brilliant. I actually fall somewhere else, because I actually quite like the story. See, I, I came to Naimon first through the Target books, and indeed, I, I reread the Target book today, actually, just to refresh my mind. And it's a really good story. You know, stripped away of some of the OTT stuff. There's some really good descriptive stuff in there. They put a lot more into the characterization of why the people are doing the things they're doing. And it's actually a really good, solid story. And the, the concept of the Nymon going planet to planet is actually a really good mm-hmm. sci-fi concept. But I think it does suffer from the execution. And funnily enough, I don't actually have a huge problem with Graham Crowden's infamous performance because even actually if you set aside the pantomime elements, even in the story he alludes to the idea that he's actually playing up to the Nymon. You know, he says, oh, I I flatter the Nymon. And I I got the impression that as a character, he was an actor playing a role. And that's actually leaned into in the story where it says actually he was a a low-level technician who has been, you know, promoted completely out of his capability, and he knows he's out of his capability. So he's massively overacting. Mm, yeah. And honestly, in this day and age, after four years of Trump, you know, demagogic leaders, it's not that unusual, actually, anymore. It doesn't seem so unbelievable as it used to. The one that really <sighs> stands out for me is Tom Baker. I think this was actually the nadir of Tom Baker's, you know, indulgent performance, because... Most of the first episode where he was gurning around the TARDIS making dreadful jokes to oh, K9. Well, they were funny. Oh, I found that painful. <laughs> I laughed out Really, loud really painful. <laughs> I thought that was much worse than anything Graham Crowden chewed up with his scenery eating. Well, it's interesting. I wouldn't have compared the two, I have to say, um, because I think the performances are very different. But I certainly agree with you that Graham Crowden was nowhere near as arch as my memory told me he was and uh, I think you're right you know he, he operated on several different levels within um, within the various strands of the story and I think he worked really well he clearly put some effort into um, well he, th- he thought about how to play each scene and I think it was a considered performance and I like it whereas Tom Baker on the other hand is no real different to uh, many of the other season 17 stories which remember you know include City of Death and I, I think those hallmarks that you mentioned might be more to do with the fact that Douglas Adams is still there and it's, it's, it's towards the end of his time um, and, and also bearing in mind, and I'm, I'm assuming they probably wouldn't have known this, but this story went out over Christmas and New Year in 79 and 1980. Now, I'm not saying that they were trying to say this is a pantomime <laughs> and therefore you need to, to, to pretend certain scenes are on stage. Uh, but at the same time, I just kind of think that, you know, they, they knew Tom Baker was successful. Tom Baker obviously wanted to do his own thing and it definitely was his own show. But even Baker's performance for me was nowhere near as over-the-top as fans would have you believe. It, it was the first episode for me that was particularly bad, because I think Tom on his own gets quite bad. And actually, when, when he rejoined the rest of the cast, you got back more to the quipping. And I love a bit of Tom quipping and, you know, 
making you know snappy one-liners to the bad guys and you know arch observations we all love that about tom but when he was on his own i thought it became quite indulgent and actually for an awful lot of the story it was romana who was doing the doctor's role and actually she played it remarkably straight uh, and and quite dramatic i thought she was good Mm. i have to say she did have a few comedic lines as well you mentioned tom baker being on his own in a lot of episode one. I think it's episode two that is essentially a two-hander between him or the Doctor and K-9 right until I think it's about 20 minutes in where the TARDIS arrives and he, he exits the TARDIS and that leads into the um, uh, the cliffhanger. But I have to say some of those moments where the Doctor is on his own or in a TARDIS and he's making those comments and you've got reams of ticker tape coming out of either K-9 or the TARDIS, I can't remember. Yeah, All the defences are down, there were wires everywhere. That's the Doctor Who I remember uh, when I was when I was younger. And um, I, I have to say, I did I did quite enjoy it. It's interesting. If, if, if I look at it at just this story, then I have to say I, I completely and utterly enjoyed it. It was one. It was a really, really good experience revisiting, and I'm very glad I did. Um, if I look at it in the context of season 17, where it was going to go in season 18, you know, who was coming, who was going, both in front and behind the camera, then I think I see it in a slightly different light. And I certainly do understand why people thought Baker needed to be reined back in. Um, I, I, I really get that. You can't have this kind of doctor for story after story without it becoming irksome. Um, mm. But again, this was the final story. I think I'm right in saying a season 17, given that it was followed by Sharda, which was, yes, of course, right. right. yeah. cancelled. Yeah. So you, you think of the contrast... And this perhaps proves your point, Ian, actually. Um, is that clearly, everybody else was of the same mind. The stark difference between the Horns of Nyman and the Leisure Hive is probably the biggest left turn taken between series, possibly throughout the entire classic era. I can't even think... Even between Cases Androzani and Twin Dilemma, there, there are still lots of things that bridge the transition there that everybody is familiar with. It's just the fact that the Doctor is so different um, that it makes the story feel different. But I, I, I really do appreciate Baker's swan song. And yes, I am quite happy because this is essentially his swan song before he goes into his funereal season. Um, but I, I really enjoy this performance. And uh, I think performance is an apt way of describing a leading role in a pantomime. Well, yes, of course. <laughs> <laughs> It's the transport from Manus, sir. The ship bringing the final sacrifices. What about it? It's disappeared. Disappeared? What are you talking about? Completely vanished, sir. The last two routing signals have not yet arrived. We thought it might be just a communications fault, but nothing we can do can raise them at all. There's absolutely no trace. No trace? Do everything in your power to locate that ship. Sir, I have. It must be found. The Nymon will have to be informed. I don't know if I've actually ever admitted this before on on this podcast, but um, I'm not Douglas Adams' biggest fan by any stretch of the imagination. I've never understood the fascination with him or Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. It's one of those things that just seems to go over my head. I really do not, uh, you know, understand the adoration for the guy. You know, I think this is probably my my least favourite period of Tom Baker is the Douglas Adams era. 
That was one one year. I mean, yeah. essentially, he was script editor for season seventeen and season seventeen only. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think he wrote three stories. This is purely from memory, but I think two of them were collaborations and came out under either pseudonyms or different names. Yeah, I couldn't. I couldn't name them. I couldn't name any of them. But City, uh, City of Death is one of his. Is that what it is? Um, All right. Okay. Yep. And yep. Uh, this is going to be Pirate Planet. Thank you. Oh, now, he yes. wrote that under his own name, didn't he? Because they're the ones that never came out in the Target novels because he wouldn't write them. Yeah, no, I, oh, I, yeah. I remember. Um, and, and, of course, it stands to reason, Ian, that you remember that because, of course, the Pirate Planet is the reason why you're a Doctor Who fan and scared of parrots. Yes, and, yeah, and couldn't get the book much. from my collection. <laughs> bugged me for a so, long time. To upset your um, OCD gene as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, and, of course, then this one uh, that he um, he kind of wrote... Um, with Anthony Reid, I think. So yeah, um, it's interesting. Reid and Adams had a relationship in any case, um, a, a professional relationship, obviously, uh, because I think um, they they were both script editors. Yeah, um, and I believe one found the other, but I can't remember which way round it was. Uh, I think Anthony Reid recommended Adams take over. I, I, it may be the other way around. I can't. Remember. All right. Okay. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, I've got to be honest. It, it's. I mean, this has really sort of got like Adams all over it. It's got like you know silly bits of humour as it has threaded all throughout that season. Actually, um, it, it's the performances sort of take the edge off it somewhat because they they they're clearly sort of having a bit of a you know, a bit of a bit of, bit of fun with it. It's it's very it is very over the top. I mean, I mean, we focused in on Graham Crowden as as an example. Um, now the cat's meowing at me. Um, but the I think the, the the biggest offender of all is Malcolm Terrace, um, as the co-pilot. Weakling scum. Because I liked him. Weakling scum. Weakling, yeah. <laughs> it's every like we, I, I just love the weakling scum every time. But every scene he's in, he, he's shouting. He wobbles his face a lot as well. There's a lot of what wobble-headed acting going on, and then he splits his trousers in his death scene. Yes, at yes. the end of um, episode three, <laughs> yes. wasn't it? Yeah, which is hilarious. I, I quite liked his performance. I mean, I know what you mean. It was definitely wooden. And, and the character, it's uh, doesn't, or is not benefited by being so incredibly unpleasant. Mm. You know, I mean, as soon as the doctor fixes his ship, he abandons him and off he goes. Oh, He's such an incredibly selfish individual. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. If, if you do it, I said at the beginning, if you, if you boo and hiss at him, he's the perfect pantomime villain. He does establish how unpleasant the scone on race is yes. quite quickly and efficiently. Funnily enough, he comes over better in the Target book as well. Because all of those weakling scums are actually him muttering it under his breath as he's walking around, rather shout than shouting it. it in people's faces, and it actually works. <laughs> <laughs> who um, who wrote who wrote the target novel? Is that one of uh, Sir Terence of Terence Dix. Dix? Interesting. Okay, well, um, the last time I had discussed a target book uh, on the DWP, I ended up finding myself buying it, and that was after I discussed the twin dilemma with uh, with Phil. <laughs> Uh, and I'm 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 partially through that, and I'm no. Oh. I did warn you. <laughs> yeah, no, you absolutely did warn me. Yeah, and uh, I I may well see if I can um, pick up Horns of Nymon. We we shall have to wait and see. Let Let's just compare this um, story then as a as a Christmas panto or a seasonal Doctor Who story that doesn't really feature Christmas at all to last year's offering with the Curse of Femrec, and uh, for 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 me. <laughs> <laughs> There's no comparison. Uh, this is uh, this is head and shoulders above Curse of Femrec. Well, I, I think the acid test for watching something at Christmas is if you've had quite a few sherries and you're feeling rather mellow in your fandom, 
how is it going to come across? And honestly, Curse of Fenric is not something to watch while you're half cut. Whereas Horns of Nymon is positively improved by the process. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. I have to, I have to admit, I don't like watching Curse of Fenric drunk, sober, or under any circumstances. <laughs> so, half me. How about you, Phil? Um, no, I, I agree. I just, I think. Um... Horns and Armour, you could have a fantastic drinking game. Every time he says weakling scum, you have to take like a big shot of whiskey or something. (laughs) (laughs) Right, okay. Well, on that note, then I think it's it's only right that we should continue our Christmas tradition of two years um, of (laughs) having a Christmas quiz about our featured episode. Uh, so we have, or I have in front of me... Oh, dear, this is why... Six questions. That's why I failed miserably. <laughs> can, can you remember who won last year? Uh, I think I did. Oh, I've got to say, I haven't listened to that episode for ages, so I'm really not sure. So if that's the case then, Christmas quizzes, um, 1-0 in Ian's favour. I think it's a 2-0 in his future. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't hold your breath. I, lo- I, lo- I absolutely love your eternal optimism, uh, Phil, I really do. Um, I also find it quite amusing. At the top of uh, my list of questions that I've got here, I've, um, I- I've entitled it Honk, H-O-N-Q, Horns of Nymon quiz. Uh, so, are the pair of you ready for your probably first and last honk? <laughs> yes, oh. okay, honk away. <laughs> they got this file and they couldn't pass the next intelligence test. Logically, it must be one. Play the contest again. Time. Throughout this game, you have spent a great deal of trouble in trying to break my concentration, and it's very unlikely that you will succeed now. Okay, I have six questions here, and rather than ask you them in in, in sequence, I'm going to allow you to take it in turns to choose um, a number between one and six, and we'll see how we go uh, that way. Uh, The only thing you need to decide amongst yourselves is who is going first. After you, Ian. Okay, I will have number three, please. Number three. Let's have a quick look. Oh, Ian. Oh dear. Right, okay. What kind of crystals do the sacrifices obtain and bring with them to present to the Nymon? It's something like hematite. Um, I'm probably slightly mispronouncing that. There was these radioactive things in lead caskets. You're very, you're very close. You're very close, and I'll give it to you if you can spell it. <laughs> Uh, no I can't spell it I'm going to give you the point Um, I'm not quite sure I can pronounce it Ian you see which is why I can't really (laughs) penalise you on it but it's a Heimtusite H-Y-M-E-T-U-S-I-T-E so I'm going to give you that thank you very much one point to Ian Phil you have uh, a number please between one and six excluding three Uh, I'll have five please number five Five. Right. Which sport does the Doctor use as an inspiration to escape the planet hurtling towards a TARDIS in episode one? Cricket. Correct. Well done. That's that, much easier. Well, no, it's totally random, Ian. Can you spell cricket? Totally random. Uh, K-R. <laughs> uh, weakling scum. Yeah. <laughs> uh, nothing to divide the pair of you. Ian, um, any number apart from three and five? Uh, four. Number four. Oh, Ian. No. <laughs> <laughs> it's, 
Here we go. What planet are the Nymon attempting to leave? Oh, um... What planet are the Nymon attempting to leave? Oh, it's on the tip of my tongue. So, so this is the planet they're evacuating. I know, I know, yeah. I mean, I've just finished reading the Target book again. <laughs> I know, yeah. you said oh. that about 20 minutes ago and you were recorded. So obviously you've seen yes. this story twice recently. <laughs> so. Yes, I have, yeah. 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 And... And I'm going to have to time you out, I think, at this rate. It, it, it's Krynos or something like that. I'm not going to give it to you, I'm afraid. I'm going to pass that over to Phil. Phil, can you pick up a bonus point? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> In that case, then, I will put it down. I mean, you may consider this to be harsh, but um, it, it, it's Krynoth. But there were two syllables, and I'm afraid you got 50% of the syllables wrong. So there you are. That's my rationale for not giving you the points. Can I have 50% of the points? No. <laughs> um, <laughs> Phil, your second question. Second question? Third question? Third question. Second question. Know. Second question. Your choice, anyway. Uh, one, two, or one. six. Number, Number one. one, please. Ooh, I like this. Number <clears throat> one, I like this question. Which cast member has links to the audience... And also a flag with a white square in the centre used to indicate a vessel is ready to sail. Which cast member has links to the audience and a flag with a white square in the centre used to indicate a vessel is ready to sail? Oh, God. Um, I have absolutely no idea. Okay, I will counter and say you have, um, but I'm going to pass it directly over to Go Ian. <laughs> <laughs> Is it Janet Ellis Abs- and Blue Peter? Absolutely. Oh, Blue yes. Peter. Okay. <laughs> and we, 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 we need to explain, yes, the Blue Peter reference is the flag okay. uh, that I described and the audience. No, don't get it. Sorry. Her daughter is the lead singer, Sophie Ellis Bexter, lead singer of okay. the audience. I do you know so, what? I've never heard of that group at all. I've heard of Sophie Ellis Bexter, but not the group. It's highly uh, unlikely no. you'll forget it. Now. I won't now, will um, I? I, I? I actually thought you meant the Doctor Who audience. You probably watched Blue Peter. So. <laughs> <laughs> that was. I mean, the fact that it's a TV show and there was an audience did kind of inform my wording but there we go anyway ian ian you are two one up your opportunity to go three one up you have two questions left number two or number six uh number six please number six in what story did we first see romana's sonic screwdriver because we saw that today in um horns of nyman was it City of Death? It was the City of Death. Well done. Yes, I thought that would probably floor you. Right. Phil. That's only because I read about <laughs> it yesterday. Oh, well, there you go. Well, at least you did research, so you earned the point. Phil, I'm afraid uh, Ian is now unassailable, but um, That's all right. you can, you can, by answering this question correctly, finish only one behind him. <laughs> question number two. What planet does most of the action in Horns of Nyman take place? Um... Oh, God, I'm going to misremember or mispronounce them. Is it Scarum? Based on my previous rationale for not awarding Ian a point, I will have to say, no, that's not correct. Go on, then. (laughs) What is it? I'm I'm afraid. (laughs) Ian would accuse me of um, being unfair if I give you that. But, uh, Ian... In the name of the second Skonos Skonos Empire, Skonos. There you go. Well... 
There you go, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, the final scores of the 2020 Christmas quiz is Ian scores four, Phil scores one. Oh, never mind. See, my, predi- my, my prediction are. was right, Ian. <laughs> I should, I should, <laughs> weakling scum. I should, I should, um, <laughs> I should win points for that. <laughs> Indeed. Well, Phil, you'll be pleased to know that you've only got another 12 months before you can try it and uh, Fail again. <laughs> catch Ian. Yes, indeed, who's 2-0, uh, 2-0. We shall have to have a proper DWP quiz um, before next December, I think. Okay. I think that would be good. Fine. Okay, so that wraps up this segment. So we're going to lead into a big finish review of Doctor Who and the Pirates. But from myself, James and Ian, have a very Merry Christmas. We'll see you in the new year. Merry Christmas, everybody. Merry Christmas, weakling scum. I've information on all things of Gallifrey and Hell's Mystery. I've linked it to the Matrix Theory, Sexitonic Circuitry. I understand dimensional and relative chronometry. I'm very well acquainted too with matters of the Capitol. I'll give you a verse and chapter on Panopticonian Protocol. I've been into the Death Zone and I played the game of Rassilon. Rassilon? 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 Aha! With pestilential monsters that I got a lot of hassle from. With pestilential monsters that he got a lot of hassle from. With pestilential monsters that he got a lot of hassle from. With pestilential monsters that he got a lot of hassle, hassle from. You know what always goes well with cake and a cuppa? A good story. And you know what makes a good story? Pirates. You're no pirate. I take that as a compliment. Hello everyone, it's the holiday season, and there is nothing, absolutely nothing more festive than pirates. That's right. Now, had it been September, we could do International Talk Like a Pirate Day, but it's not, it's December. It is the holidays, and, uh, you know, put a little yo-ho-ho and a little arr in your podcasting. So here we are to talk a little bit about Doctor Who and the pirates. Ahoy, matey! It is good to be with you, Drew, and ha-ha-ha, yes, pirates, nothing says Christmas like pirates. When James said that they were going to do Nyman, I thought, oh man, we can do better than Nyman. We can do better than Nyman. We, <laughs> there, there is no music. In Naimon. Oh my god, now I want to see the horns of Naimon the musical. <laughs> I can just see the number by Saldid now. Lord Naimon! <laughs> Full chorus. Beautiful. I don't think it would be quite as um, uh, Gilbert and Sullivan as Doctor Who and the Pirates, but uh, yeah. That, oh my goodness. And you already have the dancers and their skin tight. You, Minotaur, you know what? I'm just going to stop talking there about that. Um, yeah, yeah. Remember, we're supposed to actually review pirates. Pirates. 
<laughs> no, no, it's true. It's true. But I can't get the image out of my mind. <laughs> hands down, my favorite doctor in the audios is Colin Baker. And hands down, my favorite companion is, is Evelyn Smythe. And he really shines. And this relationship is so nice, mainly because... While there is a certain level of antagonism that they have between each other, it's nowhere near as bad as it is with Perry. Uh, and so I find her to be an endearing character, and she yeah, just yeah. does a phenomenal job. Both of them do a phenomenal job with this very difficult piece. This is a th- essentially yeah. both a three-hander and a you know 20-something-hander um, in certain parts when they're telling the story. But the, the fact that she is telling a story and the... <laughs> and, um, and is doing the voices for all of them. And at one point in time, she just gets called out for, well, all the voices are the same. She says, it's not easy, you know. <laughs> well, and just when she has gotten herself spun into the plot about as much as she can, of course, the, the doctor shows up to help help with the storytelling and to, to, to tell it from his point of view. And, and it is. You can tell, like you say, that they get after each other a little bit, but it is in the most endearing, um, companionable way. Uh, And so the doctor and Evelyn take turns telling this story until things get a little too dark. One of the brilliant things about this play is that there is this fun fluff silliness going on at one level and there's a there's a deeper level where something serious is going on and you're not quite sure what it is but um, it gets to the point where it's too hard for Evelyn to tell the story and finally, at the end of part two, this line comes out about, you know... Good never wins out in real life. Love never conquers all. There's no such thing as happily ever after. That's not true. Oh, Sally, you must see that that's not true. Evelyn, on with the story. I can't. It's something we have to finish, Evelyn. But perhaps you do need some light relief. So, if virtue is triumphant only in theatrical performances... <coughs> you're not going to sing. <laughs> yeah, um, so I I was given this disc, oh, I don't know, six, seven years ago, uh, at the beginning of a long road trip, and I was about an hour into it when I got to that part and went, no, no. <laughs> I understand that the songs in this particular story are based off of Gilbert and Sullivan, and I'm familiar enough with the tune of them to follow along, but not so familiar that I could sing along with it, right? Like, I, I get, I am the very model of a modern major general, right? Except that here it is, I am the very model of a Gallifreyan buccaneer. Looking over the lyrics for that song, it is uh, absolutely brilliant. <laughs> Like, I'm looking at lines, and it's like, okay, they've mentioned the monoids. They've mentioned the Vord. Cool, cool. Dulcus is in here. Like, it's really, it's so brilliantly done, but I have to listen, uh, read along with the lyrics, because it's done so fast that I can't truly appreciate what is being said. But to Colin Baker's credit, he does a, a fine, fine he job. He is phenomenal. And this is this is where fan opinion on this story probably diverges, is part three is is Gilbert and Sullivan pastiche after Gilbert and Sullivan pastiche. And it is amazingly well-performed. Colin Baker is wonderful. Uh, The plot kind of stops for the length of an episode. And we have this 
amazing thing that I like nothing else I have ever heard in a big finish. Um, but you either love it or you don't. And um, I got to tell you, I love it. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> yeah, hundred percent. I'm I'm absolutely like this shouldn't be the story that I love. And I'm I'll let you know something. Uh, you know, eventually I'm going to get on the the desert island and discuss my favorite big finish audio and prior to this recording i definitely was going to say the pirates and i'm not 100 percent sure i'm going to go with it anymore Mm -hmm. but that has nothing to do with the musical number but the rest of the plot which i feel as a four-parter drags quite a bit if we could keep the musical number and keep it to three parts rather than four parts i think it would flow a lot more i feel like there's quite a bit of fluff um in the introduction of a lot of extraneous crew and uh, there's a lot of back and forth and traveling from place to place. I think it could be told uh, much more succinctly. The third part, with I, I absolutely adore some of the songs. Um, I get a little impatient waiting for the whole episode for anything to actually happen. And there's a couple other places where it drags, but those are minor niggles. If you, mm-hmm. This is one of those where you need to know what you're going into, I think, so that you don't get disappointed because it's not what you expect. But you, you find at the end that there is a really good reason that um, Evelyn and the doctor have stopped by to spin a pirate yarn and that there is something serious going on underneath. And the reason, the way that is all explained is really poignant um, and, and touching and, and personal and intimate and doggone it, Evelyn and the doctor are just doing something really, really, really nice. You know, you probably have to suspend a little more disbelief in this story than in some, but but hey, it is the holidays, and and you need a little more. You need a little more Colin Baker singing Gilbert and Sullivan in the persona of the Doctor. Uh, your holidays are just not complete without it. You know, and, and to go along with that, the um, Big Finish will frequently have one of those sales for the the first fifty stories are usually mm-hmm. relatively inexpensive, especially digitally. I think this would make a really good Christmas present um, and a really inexpensive one to send to somebody. Absolutely. Well, ho ho ho, har har har. I think it's time that we walk the plank or something. <laughs> Let us go off. I've got a treasure map to Big Finish Island. day of Christmas, my true love gave to me a review of... What is it called? Uh, uh, Horns of Nymon? <laughs> is that what our, tr- our true loves back on the other side of the pond have sent us a review of Nymon? <laughs> on the first day of Christmas, our other half of the podcast gave to us a review of Horns of Nymon. <laughs> so deep. <laughs> If you, if you have not guessed, dear listeners, this is the American contingent for the Christmas special of the Doctor Who podcast 2020. You have in the camper van, Drew. Hello. And Brent. And hello. <laughs> and Michelle. And Drew is the crazy one. Here we are taking time out of our Christmas mornings. And, and wait, just a minute. Hun, hun, tell, tell him we'll open presents after the podcast.
after yeah yeah this year's a little different like everything else this year so yeah <laughs> all right back with you uh, we opened all of ours uh already um uh, I like to get up at three in the morning, open my presents, <laughs> eat all my candy, and then uh, just see what happens. But have you have you eaten the tangerine yet? <laughs> you know, I leave tangerines for Doctor Who. Nobody likes the tangerines. <laughs> How about you, Brett? How's your Christmas going? Oh, it's going pretty well so far. <laughs> Got everything I wanted. Oh, everything you wanted. Oh, that's... everything I wanted. Oh. World peace is coming this week. Oh, yeah! And by world peace, you mean in one week we'll have an end to 2020. Yes, that's actually (laughs) what I wish for. The nice thing, too, is while I can't see it where I'm recording here on our Christmas tree, uh, there is a very nice uh, glowing dumpster filled with electric fire uh, that just says 2020 on it. I got myself a light-up dumpster fire Christmas Mm -hmm. ornament for 2020. I got a couple of other ones for 2022, but it's not appropriate to tell you what they say on them uh, on this podcast. One thing that was not a dumpster fire this year was the uh, the return of the... Well, it was kind of a dumpster fire because we came back and then we didn't come back for months. Um, but no, the, 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 we're back on track. The Doctor Who podcast is alive and kicking and well. And what do you all make of the Horns of Nymon? You know, I haven't seen that one in forever, but... Uh, I think when I watched Horns of Nymon, I had never considered doing cosplay before, but I was thinking, I could do Saltheed, because you could walk into any <laughs> panel halfway through and just go, Lord Nymon, it is I, Saltheed! And, uh, <laughs> yeah, you'd only get half of the audience giving you daggers. It used to be my least favorite story, <gasps> until I saw Web Planet, which is terrible. Boo! Uh, but Boo! <laughs> It's boring. Uh, but I watched it again recently, maybe a year ago, and it's not as bad mm. as I remembered. Mm. It, it is very panto, though. <laughs> well, and and the uh, Graham crowd and overact, overacting is... Uh, wonderful! So okay. good! <laughs> I love it! Uh, okay. Actually, I would think one thing that both Naimon and Web Planet have is both of them really, like aimed for the fences right like they basically definitely tried much harder than their budget would allow and i think i've gone on record on several different podcasts telling you how much i like uh, web planet especially aesthetically but go ahead please <laughs> okay now for me i gotta tell you horns of naimon is one of my all-time favorite episodes because i think it was my first episode <gasps> i think the very first time as, as a teenager back in the 80s as I was flipping through channels, um, I think I came across a sequence of Romana in a corridor um, over and over and over again. Just kind of, and, and it was so different from anything I had ever seen, even visually, because the whole look of Doctor Who is different than American television. Um, I was mesmerized. And when there was a cliffhanger, I had to come back the next night, and, and the rest is history. Um, and so I have a very fond spot in my heart for Naimon, including... I also love just the, the the mythology of it, the Greek mythology mm-hmm. and tying yeah. into, I think I, I really, so I almost, if they hadn't been planning to review this for Christmas, I would possibly have made this my classic Doctor Who pick for uh, the Desert Island Who segment. So that's, oh, how that's... neat. It's been a really long time. Is it a good, is it a good Romana story? I can't remember if it's a good Romana story. It's a great story. Romana okay. story. No, she's, she's like the doctor. She's even right. got a, a, a costume that is a kind of a, pastiche of what the doctor wears and she does all this wonderful stuff and she's in her 
in, in her glory. But we're not here to talk about Naimon. We're um, not? No, 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 no. <laughs> we have been tasked by Father Christmas James to come up with actually talking about Christmassy things, namely Christmas specials, namely Doctor Who Christmas specials. And so we are actually going to do something Christmassy on Christmas, and we are going to talk about our favorite Doctor Who specials. Lords a leaping. <laughs> um, my favorite Christmas special is Last Christmas. You remember Danny, of course. Not as well as you, clearly. You've made him a fraction taller. Merry Christmas, P. Compliments of the season, sir. Dialogue's pretty good, too. Nice work. It's all in the detail. Just stop it. It's not real, Clara. None of this is real. What's real is there is an alien organism wrapped around your face, keeping you warm and happy while it eats you. Mince pie, anyone? You're dying. If this is a dream, how can you be here? How can we both be having the same dream? There was only one way to get to you. And what was that? I'm dying too. Peter Capaldi is my absolute favorite doctor in the modern series. Mm. But this is such a great story to me that really has nothing to do with Christmas. It just has Christmas elements in it, sort of like the old uh, Die Hard argument that Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, to me, this one stands out because I think the threat is probably higher than most of the other specials. Mm. It, it feels like a regular Doctor Who episode. Um, you've also got Nick Frost, Dan Starkey, Michael Troughton. Uh, there are a lot of references to other things in here besides the obvious one to Alien and the Facehuggers. Um, I noticed this time slight references to other Christmas movies. Like when the elf says, you'll get yours, like from A Christmas Story. Mm. Uh, one of the crew says, God bless us, everyone, mm-hmm. like Christmas Carol. And when the doctor says, yippee-ki-yay, like die hard. Right, yes, absolutely. <laughs> there might be more in there that I missed, but it was also just fun. I mean, there was a threat, but it was a really fun episode. And, and you had the uh, the really heartfelt moment, too, with Clara sort of getting to say goodbye to Danny mm-hmm. in her subconscious. Um, and the fact that the doctor put one of those facehuggers on himself just to go in and save her. Mm-hmm. But then silly things like Santa having a car alarm on Rudolph, which was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> Santa saying that the doctor was a scientist dressed like a magician, which was followed by Magician's Apprentice. Mm-hmm. And uh, the doctor's one-liners like, there's a movie called Alien? That's offensive. No wonder <laughs> they keep invading you. But yeah, overall, this is it's really fun, and it had a really important message that every Christmas is last Christmas. Yeah, can you explain that message to me? Because I'm not 100% sure. Like, I've seen this one like 10 times, but every time I, I watch it, I, I still am not 100% sure what, what Moffat is trying to say. Is it just like every Christmas is the last Christmas, or could potentially be your last Christmas, which seems a lot dire yeah. than, than uh, so like, love it. Take as much of it you yeah, can because you never know when you're not going to have another Christmas. It's potentially. there w- During the Danny scene, he actually, he says that. He says, uh, do you know why everybody gets together at Christmas? Because it may be someone's last Christmas. You know, like, you know, your grandma or whatever. It could be their last Christmas. And that's where they were going with that. You know, yeah. at this year watching this, I found it particularly poignant because so many of us will not be gathering with loved ones in person this year. 
because of the dangers of the virus. And it really did hit hard. Um, not, you know, it may not even mean that, that somebody isn't going to be around next Christmas, but just the fact that we can't get together. Yeah, I think it's sort of a don't, don't miss the things that are wonderful that are happening around you um, because you never know how long you'll have them for, which is, I guess, kind of a dark message in some ways, but it's also, it's also a living message in other ways. You know, don't miss it. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of the connections that I like about this this episode is um, it's it specifically references um, one of my favorite movies of all time, which is the Thing from Another World, um, which was remade as John Carpenter's The Thing. You know, a group of scientists in the Arctic um, being harassed by an alien life form. And one of the other things that I think it's important to consider when talking about this one is this was supposed to be Jenna Coleman's last episode. Like this was supposed to be the goodbye for that mm-hmm. companion and then she decided not to leave and we were getting a new companion um the actress who played shauna in this one was the one that was heavily rumored to be taking the on the next role and i'll be honest watching that dance i would have been down for it i always wondered that because i remember around that time that she said she wanted to leave and i always wondered if that scene of her being old at the end was meant to be her goodbye How would you have felt if that was? I am in the I like Clara camp, and so I'm glad that she didn't go. Um, But it would have been, I mean, that would have been a a lovely scene. I mean, I think she would have been fine, a good exit for her, and it would have been really cool. However, had she left then, we wouldn't have gotten um, Hellbent and Heaven Sent, and uh, such a a memorable episode from the next season. So I'm, I'm glad that that wasn't the exit. I love it when the doctor gets to take the sleigh at the end. And after having been grouchy, grouchy Peter Capaldi, who is also one of my very favorite doctors of all time, just to get him to see him let loose a little bit and enjoy the fantasy or whatever it is of getting to drive Santa's sleigh. I I, I like that moment. Well, how about uh, Drew? What what were you going to champion for favorite Christmas episode? Well, uh, this Christmas, I'm going to champion the Husbands of River Song. Your Majesty, I assure you, she is the perfect bait. When this woman is in danger, the Doctor will always come. Oh, you are a moron. No, he won't. He's probably already here. No, he isn't. Of course he isn't. Possibly on this ship. Well, go on. Scan it, then. Go on, why don't you? A river. Two hearts, stupid clothes. You can't miss him. River. Go on, scan the whole parsec. He's not here. God knows where he is right now, but I promise you, he's doing whatever the hell he wants and not giving a damn about me, and I'm just fine with that. When you love the Doctor, it's like loving the stars themselves. You don't expect a sunset to admire you back. And if I happen to find myself in danger, let me tell you, the Doctor is not stupid enough or sentimental enough, and he is certainly not in love enough to find himself standing in it with me. think in the same way that Jenna Coleman was supposed to leave at last Christmas, Stephen Moffat was originally supposed to leave with this episode. So in the way to watch this is sort of like Moffat's goodbye to Doctor Who. I think that's a really fascinating take on, on the episode. Unlike last Christmas, I don't feel the threats particularly real. And that's not the point of this. This is a rom-com. Like this is a rom-com and it's sort of, 
I almost feel like it's Stephen Moffat apologizing for using River Song as a plot device for <laughs> so many years in in because I think River is possibly the most interesting character in all of Doctor Who, or at least the potential of River uh, is the is the most interesting. And I think Big Finish is really exploring what could have been uh, a lot better than uh, Series Six and Series Seven did. So that's what I'm going with. Well, I really enjoy this one as well. I, I would list it among my favorites. I just love the romance. I, I'm not. Mm-hmm. I can take or leave. And on first viewing, I really felt like I wanted to leave the sort of the a plot about the diamond and her husband in the in the suit and all that. You know, the switching of heads and stuff. I liked it better on rewatch. Um, however, what I really love is the romance. Is the mm-hmm. romance between River and the Doctor, and to watch the Doctor who is genuinely in love and knows it, um, that all the the buildup of tension with River Song not recognizing who he is and how sweet it is as he keeps trying to clue her into who he is. I just think I just think that's played out beautifully. And then, you know, the final reveal at the end that they're going to be able to to spend 27 years or whatever <laughs> having their last night. Um, I just think it's sweet. It's so it is really, really sweet. Yeah, I really like this one too. Um, and not to repeat everything you just said, but I totally, I am totally on board with you uh, about the reasons. Um, the beginning was a little silly to me the first time I saw it. Like you said, on second viewing, it's it's not as bad. But what really stood out was I like Matt Smith, I like David Tennant, but I think that River gels better with the Twelfth Doctor, and it's to me, it's more of. Um, more of a realistic romance, I guess. And and I really loved, like you said, the way he was trying. He kept trying to hint her in on who she is. And then her face when she finally realizes who he is. And, uh, of course, that scene at the end um, where they realize they're going to have like 20-something years together. And uh, that's great. It's also the first time I met Drew. We had a... <laughs> oh, uh, what? Now there's a we, romance. Made in heaven. Uh, <laughs> it's a bromance. <laughs> we had a... Uh, we were podcasting together for a while, but we had never met in person. And there was a Doctor Who uh, get-together in Raleigh. And we watched this episode as part of it. And in, wasn't it in, like, an Italian restaurant, too? Mm-hmm, yeah. Like, they converted this Italian restaurant into a, a screening room. And uh, I drove up, or I guess I was from in Greensboro to, to do it. Yeah, that was fun. That was were, a lot were of there, fun. Were there any towers out the window? Any, any <laughs> no. singing? There were some. There were uh, ambulance definitely drove by at one point in time, uh, you know. But that could have just been the wind. Mm. <laughs> I will agree with both of you that I think the first half of this is actually kind of stupid. Not stupid, <laughs> but it, it 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 really picks up when we start hearing about damsel. When you know the whole head thing is fun and it's kind of goofy, silly fun, and you know introduction to Nardole and and such. But once the two of them get into the TARDIS and it really becomes a two-hander. Uh, that's really where the story picks up. And I'll admit, I tear up every time he says, hello, sweetie. I mm-hmm. wait for it. And there's this such a pregnant pause between when you think he's going to say it and the look on her face. And she does like a double take, a slow double take, and then a triple take. And then he just says, hello, sweetie. And I'm just like, oh, oh, for Clemson. <laughs> Well, okay, from the sublime to the not sublime, 
the the Christmas special that I'm going to bring to the Christmas gift swap here is the Runaway Bride. Question is, what did camouflage robot mercenaries want with you? And how did you get inside the TARDIS? I don't know. What's your job? I'm a secretary. Weird. I mean, you're not special. You're not powerful. You're not connected. You're not clever. You're not important. This friend of yours, just before she left, did she punch you in the face? Stop bleeping me! It is such a delightful introduction to Donna. Uh, It's a little over the top, but Donna and the Doctor are so good together right off the bat. It's a lot of fun. Also, dealing with the departure of Rose was such a heavy thing that the challenge of somehow picking up and going on from there while acknowledging the immensity of the loss that had just happened in the doctor's life and yet still, you know, trying to do something fun for Christmas and look to the future. I just think they hit all the notes right. I mean, there's some some real broad comedy in it, but there's also the beautiful scenes like the one on the rooftop where, you know, they're kind of both lamenting what hasn't gone right in their lives. And then they they take Donna seriously, despite despite all the comedy. The point at which she realizes that Lance has betrayed her is heartbreaking, and and they don't shy away from from playing that element of it either. And so, you know, it's these two folks that have just had their hearts broken, all three hearts. You know, it may not be high drama, but it it really did what it needed to at that point in the show. This feels like a Matt, um, like the Matt Smith of episodes, where it's goofy, it's goofy, it's goofy, and then it flips to serious in such a way that it it feels really well placed. And I love this episode, mm-hmm. I really do. And and I think I I was definitely really excited when I heard that that she was coming, Catherine Tate was coming back. I thought this one had a lot going for it, uh, especially the first two acts. The the I feel like the last act kind of drags in some bits and is is ends abruptly in, in others but i i really i dig this one quite a bit yeah i do too uh, it's been a while since i've seen it but i remember well i remember at the time where everybody was up in arms about Catherine tate coming on oh no she's gonna be silly and and i just thought she was great and the fact that a whole year goes by and then she's back on there as a companion and to me uh, up until bill Donna was my favorite companion of the new series. And I really, really liked her. And it's partly because I, I'm one of these, uh, not a big fan of Hanky Panky and the TARDIS. <laughs> so, and she was the first one that came along that was not like that. She was like, no, get away from me. And <laughs> and I liked her for that. They were buddies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she has growth in this episode and it doesn't feel forced. I mean, I, if any of us were put into the same situation that she was i think i think we would probably be pretty uh ab- upset in general uh, the, the energy in this is great mm-hmm. and i own some of the uh atm money that we see in this episode that Ooh. the doctor uh, sends flying everywhere i couldn't for the life of me remember what episode it was from so uh when he starts sending it all over the place and you can kind of see it flying off i'm like ooh, i own some of that it's the only doctor who prop <laughs> i own We have a title to be decided. 
today, but it is time for another of the famous uh, or infamous Doctor <laughs> Who podcast Christmas quizzes. Woo! They got this far and they couldn't pass the next intelligence test. Logically, there must be one. Play the contest again. Time. Throughout this game, you have spent a great deal of trouble in trying to break my concentration, and it's very unlikely that you will succeed now. Genius. Genius. Yay. Hey, that's Yay. what we need on this of all mornings to <laughs> think. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. I will get to, for better or worse, be your quiz master, which means that Brent and Drew are on the hot seat. And this has got to be about one of the most easy, in a sense, <laughs> Doctor Who quizzes. Because Is the answer need- Christmas? No. You knew ahead of time that the topics would be drawn from the three Christmas specials that we have been discussing. Um, And I'm not going to do anything funny and weird like going into production trivia or who knows what. But, okay, so I have six questions. I have two questions from each Christmas special that we've talked about. There are two of you, and if you do the math, that means you each get three questions. I will give you one point for a right answer, and if you don't get the answer right, then the other person gets to try and steal it, and we will see where we get to from there. (laughs) Are there any questions out there? (laughs) Should we have been drinking ahead of time? Eggnog. (laughs) So much eggnog. (laughs) I mean, eggnog is a breakfast food, right? It's a a holiday breakfast food. It's got eggs. It's got eggs. Oh, (laughs) I've been, well, I've had a lot of that, and I've probably had too much bacon nog as well, but, you know, that's fine. <laughs> okay, now, how to figure out who goes first. Let Brent do it. Okay, Brent's going first. That's my gift to you, Brent. <laughs> Merry Christmas. <laughs> Merry Christmas, Drew. <laughs> okay, Brent, pick a number between one and six. Five. All right. This is from the, the episode that you offered up, so good luck. from last christmas what does the doctor hate about the obvious that he missed it i'll give that to you missing it yeah (laughs) okay one for brent ding drew pick a number between one and six that isn't five ah uh, (laughs) uh how about three three all right well this is from the one you suggested i know i think i may have figured out your uh the pattern here. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe not. We'll see. In the opening credits animation for the Husbands of River Song, what objects flew through the vortex for the first time? Uh, wouldn't be snowflakes. We got that in the snowmen. Um, um, I'm going to go with tangerines. <laughs> no. Nobody likes the tangerines. They wouldn't put them in the opening credits. Brent, this uh-huh. is your chance to be sneaky and <laughs> do a little thieving on Christmas morning. Um, I'm going to guess a TARDIS with snow on it. <laughs> Actually, that had been done the year before. Uh, okay. So, so it was a good guess, but no. Um, <clears throat> you guys. Okay, so it was 
Christmas tree decorations, the Christmas tree baubles that go on your Christmas tree. Oh. Uh, that instead of being planets flying through the vortex, as they spun around in the vortex, it was Christmas tree balls. You know, Brent, that feels like that that's sort of obvious. And you know what I hate about it? <laughs> the obvious, right? That you missed it. We both missed yeah, we it. We both missed it. Merry Christmas. <laughs> uh, so we're back to Brent. You get one, two, four, or six. 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 From Husbands of River Song. The doctor contends that it would be a better universe if this worked. <laughs> um, eggnog. <laughs> no, it is not eggnog. It's a very it's true statement, though. It probably would be a better universe if eggnog worked. All right. This was your story, Drew. Sarcasm. That's it. It would be a better universe if sarcasm worked. Ooh, ooh, ooh. You are at one each. And we're halfway through the questions. We're halfway out of the dark. Yeah, halfway out. <laughs> True. One, two, or four? Uh, four. Give me one of Donna's extraterrestrial nicknames for the doctor in The Runaway Bride. Spaceman. That's one of them. No extra credit points allowed, but can you remember the other? Martian. Martian boy. Martian boy. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Brent. One or two? Uh, two. From last Christmas, what is the big problem with telling fantasy and reality apart? Um, be- they're both ridiculous. That's it. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and we are at two, two. Okay, Drew. <laughs> what is the Christmas carol played by the sinister Santas in The Runaway Bride? And in The Christmas Invasion, too, for that matter. Um... Is it Wenceslas? it is not. It okay. is not. That would be a good one to be played by a brass band, but in this case, no. Uh, jingle Bells? No! Don't! <laughs> Don't! <laughs> All right. Uh, no, it's God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen. <sighs> okay, tiebreaker. Now how we have to figure it. You know what Can I we would just do? have a tie? <laughs> Can we just know? Because I've taken all the time to write all these tiebreaker questions, so we know. Well. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'll do? We'll do this American football style, and we'll give you both a shot at it before, <laughs> you know, like like everybody gets the ball one time uh, in overtime. So we can't score a touchdown, but we could both get a field goal. <laughs> so let's go in the same order we've been going, which gives Brent the first one. Okay. In what other TV episode... Did the doctor deploy the tune from God Rest You Merry Gentlemen? Christmas Invasion? No. Oh. <laughs> hey, do, you, do you know, Drew? Uh, is it the Widow the Witch? No, the Widow the something in the wardrobe? What is that? No. The doctor. No, the doctor, not, the widow in the wardrobe, no, yeah. No, no, no. If I tell you it's from Classic Who, can you, can you try again? Oh. oh. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. I know you've watched it. I'm sure I have. <laughs> well, there goes my guess. I was going to say Feast of Stephen. Uh, he use, he sings it as a lullaby. Does that help? Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> oh, um, Curse of Peladon. That is it. Yeah, oh, yes. that was that was uh, 
<laughs> Does he, wait, no, but wait a second. Do I? I get my chance, right? I'm yep. going to say monster of Peladon. Doesn't he use it on Agador in that one as well? No. Okay. Well, never mind. But uh, do you want? Do you, I'll give you. You're not going to get this right, but I'll give you a chance. <laughs> <laughs> because if you're really good, uh, Drew, can I phone a friend? I, I no. choose Brent. <laughs> you choose Brent. <laughs> uh, I, so here's the really hard one. Okay. In what big Finnish story does this Carol feature? Uh, yeah. Uh, <sighs> Chimes of Midnight. No. <laughs> <laughs> it That's features a Christmas in- episode, right? It features in Voyage to Venus, where Jago and Lightfoot uh, are whisked away by the Sixth Doctor to Venus, oh, and Jago Jago sings it as a lullaby to some of the native life there. And because he sings it as a lullaby, the tune goes into the culture of the Venusians. And at some point in the distant future, the Third Doctor goes to Venus, learns the Venusian lullaby, which is why in Curse of Peladon he sings a Venusian lullaby to the tune of. God rest you, merry gentlemen. And your Christmas was not complete without knowing that. That is your gift to us. (laughs) (laughs) That means Brent wins. Brent wins. (laughs) But yes, we all feel like winners because this is the Doctor Who podcast and you all are most welcome. Right? (laughs) (laughs) Doctor Who podcast, everyone. This has been a delight to spend a little bit of this um, Christmas day <clears throat> with you. And, and um, we should let you know that there is certainly more Doctor Who podcast goodness, peace, love, winging your way in the not-too-distant future. Absolutely. We will have episode 316, which will be the instant review of the UK team of Revolution of the Daleks. Ooh, now by instant review, we mean that the UK team will watch Revolution as it airs, and then without having any time to think about it, take note, listeners, without having any time to think about it, they will give you a review on the night. It's very different from their usual reviews where they think of... Never mind. You know what? Not <laughs> that. <laughs> 317 is going to be a more considered review. Uh, more considered, of course, because it'll be the U.S. contingent of the DWP. And we like to think about things before we open our big <laughs> mouths. Uh... Yes, and not only that, we will be doing our review for it, uh, I think a couple of days, a few days after airing of Revolution, which means, more importantly than our considered views, you, dear listeners, will have a chance to send in your feedback, which we will also consider on that episode. So... After Revolution, whether you need a few minutes or a few hours to think about it, please do send in your feedback to feedback at the com. It can be written, it can be recorded, audio feedback is welcome. Or you can also give your feedback on the Facebook page, which is at the Doctor Who Podcast. That's our handle there. You can do it on Twitter, which is at the DR Who Podcast. So a couple of reviews of Revolution coming up. And then early in the new year, there will be episode 318 where the crew will give predictions for the coming year. So yes, there is hope on the horizon. We actually have planned three episodes in advance. That is kind of miraculous. 
it's a little Christmas miracle for you there. Um, but be looking for all of those and on into the new year. Anything else we need to say, fellas? Well, on into the year, we will have more episodes of Nine Lives, more Desert Island Who, and more Big Finish reviews. Mm. All right, then all that is left is for us to wish everybody out there a phenomenal Christmas or whatever holiday you celebrate, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, uh, Yule. Festivus. Yeah. (laughs) We hope that it has been or will be a wonderful, wonderful holiday season for you. We all hope that 2021 will be an improvement on 2020, but we have certainly enjoyed spending this Christmas with you. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays, everybody. Pod bless us, everyone. (laughs) (laughs) I wish they could see your face. Just get the door. Can't run anymore. I really don't want to go. You've done this before. Must it be time to go? I'm glad that we have. Even fixed points can change. I guess it might not be so bad. It's time to run and remember. How bitter sweet this December. You'll be the same old doctor. 